Hello and welcome to Command Space. Today is episode 100. I'm your host today, Stephen Hackett. I'm joined by a very special guest, one whom you might recognize, Mr. Mike Hurley. Hello, Stephen. Mike, how are you? I'm very well. Thank you for doing this today. Of course. We should also say thank you to Macworld for letting us record in their awesome studio. We are live in San Francisco. I can reach over and I can poke you in the side. Thank you. I won't do that. So we're going to do something special today. Command Space has a big... Uh, 100, 100 episodes is a big deal in the podcast world. And uh, I knew it was coming up, and I wanted to interview interview you. People could get a little look behind the microphone. People ask, like, quite frequently, like I say, oh, who wants to... Who do you think should be on Command Space? I could do it every now and then, so I can try and gauge the type of people that like that others want to hear. And it, it's interesting how it changes over time. And I always get at least a couple of people say, what about you? So I figured episode 100 want, needed, wanted and, and felt like I needed to do something different. So now it's my turn. So let's jump in. Michael Hurley, what do you like to be known for? So obviously I put a lot of thought into this. So I ask it every week. Um, and I haven't, tried, I haven't prepared anything. Um, I've just been thinking about it. So I think a couple of things. I like to be known for creating things that make people happy. Hmm. Whether it be just because it's something that makes them laugh or it's something they find interesting or maybe they're sad and it makes them feel a bit better. Um, and I also want to be known for being someone who works really, really hard to do that. Because um, I feel like I do. Uh, I put a lot of effort into the stuff that I make and it's really important to me that the work that I do represents that. Wow, so we're gonna we're going to come back to that. I think... Your answers actually kind of provide the structure of my of my questions, actually. Um, you've spoken before about your podcast history. We'll have a couple links in the show notes. Uh, Command Space 89 and then East Wing 88, uh, actually, the two two episodes that come to mind where you kind of give your background of podcasting. So people can go definitely listen to those. But sort of the, in the elevator pitch, how did you get into what you do? I tried to blog for many years, like I think many of us have. Um, I just wanted – I had a – creative feeling like I had stuff to say but I struggle with keeping up with writing things down it's just a it's just a practice that whilst I enjoy it's very stressful for me to sit and write and every now and then I think like once a year I write something for your site Mm -hmm. when you go on holiday and I love doing it but it's I find it I'm very slow at doing it and it takes me a long time uh, so then I just thought I'd try my hand at podcasting it seemed like I love podcasts I've listened to podcasts for close to 10 years mm-hmm. I, I love the medium um, it's my favorite type of entertainment bar none more than movies TV shows music podcasts is what I love so I thought I'd try it and what I found out was I just talk um, I don't you know I prepare my, my shows right. but I just talk I I don't have to go back and edit that sentence that I just said I'll just correct it and then you get the correction like the editing part of writing was the difficult thing for me okay so being able to just sit and just talk and give my opinions is, is what I love to do. Yeah, so it's that sort of conversational approach fits better with how you kind of think through the yeah. topic at hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so I know you had, uh, you're in 5x5 five five now, mm-hmm. as am I, everyone's on 5x5. Five five. Yeah. Um, before this, though, before 5x5, five five, you, you had kind of started a single show and kind of grew that into a network, right? Mm-hmm. Kind of what, what was that process like and kind of how did you end up as part of 5x5? Five so I had one show, the show that uh, preceded this show. It was, called, it was a show called The Bro Show, which I did with one of my real-world best friends, a guy named Terry Lucy, and we worked on the show. We had 117 episodes of wow. that show, um, and now we're at 100 of this one. So I have done, like, every single week uh, for the last four years, I have done 
this show mm-hmm. um, but it's been in two different guises because the Ro show was after the first 17 episodes became an interview show yeah. or we spoke about tech news but there was always an interview as a portion of it um, after starting to do that show it, there was a thing that happened to me that happened to so many people that do podcasts I got bitten by the bug mm-hmm. I had other things that I wanted to say I had other people that I wanted to work with so I started more shows um, before I started 70 Decibels I was doing like six different podcasts and they all had their own places that they lived. And it just came to the point where I was like, I want to have these all in one place so I can just manage it, take all the work off of everybody else because I was relying on my co-host to post it on their blog or something like that, you know. And it just made the most sense for me to have one place, one identity. Um, And I looked at Dan Benjamin and Leo Laporte and I wanted to emulate the work that they were doing. They're, they were leading uh, the the charge in re- in regards to podcasting as a thing. And and I think I started 70 Decibels before podcast networks were a thing that people wanted. I can't remember any others that were notable at the time when I started 70 Decibels. And I'm not saying that we were. Um, we gained a level of success, which I never thought we'd ever get. Like It was like a dream. And then we're able to move into 5x5, five five, and I'm sure you've got more to ask me about mm-hmm. that later. But... It just felt like a natural thing that I had to do to wrap it all up into one place where people could come and just grab a bunch of different stuff. Right, because all those shows, you were you were the common element. I know yeah. some of those shows you know, still exist. You've got, obviously, of this one, you have The Pen Addict with Brad Dowdy was an yeah. early one. Um, and so it was, for you, a sort of a, a place where you could be the, the hub and all these shows around you kind of form spokes out of the wheel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of talking about... Uh, the industry, you know, as as a whole, you know, it w- if my recollection at the, at the time is is it as yours is that there weren't a lot of networks. There maybe a couple of little ones here and there, but at least in our industry, the, the tech industry, um, you basically had to be really big. You had to be a five by five or a twit to to do something like this. What were some of the challenges of having a smaller network kind of kind of hobbled together with a bunch of different types of technology? The the biggest challenge for me was always. Uh, the technical aspect. I did things in such a bad way, that, and, and you know, I was I was duplicating so much work for myself. I, I was putting show notes into uh, Libsyn, then also recreating those show notes on my website because I was generating the RSS feeds through the hosting providers instead of from the websites. Like that was one big thing. I built the whole platform on Squarespace, um, which is kind of a crazy thing to do. Like I was really cobbling together the platform mm-hmm. to make it into a podcast network there are people that do it now and squarespace now much better supports podcasters right. than it did when i was right, like, doing like it. atp i believe is yeah. you know, mostly on squarespace and uh, esn my sister's yeah. stuff is all there but i was very much like trying to get this system together right. to to host and show yeah. my shows to kind the world. of right at the bleeding edge of what their platform could do yeah and and it was like crazy the things <laughs> like by the end of 70 decibels i felt like and i said i said this a bunch of times the network was kind of held together by wishes and sticky tape like it was <laughs> it was a mess and and that was the biggest challenge for me but i, I don't think that was what you were alluding to I, I i think you were talking about my challenges in my place in the industry and that that was weird and, and interesting and it grew over time like i have no idea where i would be now if we stuck on that path, mm-hmm. um, I think that we probably would have got to where we are, but it would have taken longer. It was just interesting. Like I, I started off with with 
no guests and then guests who, you know who had blogs that a thousand people read and then it built and built and right. built and it was just a case of just going from person to person and trying to kind of climb the, <laughs> climb, the ladder, climb the ladder a bit, yeah. you know to, to the point where it was the the people that would happily come on my show recognized the work that I did right. and as time went on like more and more people had heard of X show like Command Space right before I interviewed them okay and so so was the move to 5x5 five five, was that a step up that ladder was was the intention there not only to sort of solve the technical issues but to gain i mean five by five as a network has a, a obviously a huge loyal following one that you and i are both very fortunate to be a part of was it was that a step in that direction as well of trying to be on a bigger platform so you could do more interesting things joining five by five was like take getting off the ladder and going up an elevator yeah like <laughs> that's the only way to put it like I'm not a household name, but you know, I don't think any podcasters are. But what <laughs> what joining Five by Five did for me is it did a, it did a few things. It, it opened me up to the family, the Five by Five family, of which there's tons of great people who mm-hmm. now you know will recognize me because I'm on the website that they see all the time. Um, having a Five by Five email address, I think, significantly helped me with booking guests. Um, because it was a name and a brand that people in our industry recognize and is respected. And I think that it did help. It helped a lot. And and it was a big thing for me. Like, I needed the help and experience that Dan Benjamin and his system provided me. Mm-hmm. But I also really wanted the chance to have a bigger platform to to get my content out to more people. Because that's what 5x5 Five Five gave. Like, they have an existing audience. Um, and they have a lot of traffic to the website. And what it did was it showed a bunch more people overnight that I existed and that these shows existed and that they might like them. And we saw that in the numbers, you know. Mm, right. the, the, the listener base grew, like, within the first week. Many shows were two, three times the size as the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, all of this should be filtered through the fact that this is not your day job. Like, you, you've alluded here and there, and I'm not going to, out you, but you know that you do have a job in marketing at a, mm-hmm. at a, at a we'll say a large company. Um, is is your podcasting is what you do here on the internet in this weird world that, in which we kind of operate publicly? Uh, is that known to people like your coworkers or your boss, or is it? Or are you like Clark Kent during the day, and then you d- you dive into you know the telephone booth and pull off, and you have a five by five Superman shirt on underneath? It used to be more like that. Um, I used to work in the retail arm of my company, mm. and and I kept it as quiet as possible. Nobody knew what I did. But then when I moved into the marketing, I actually used my outs, my extracurricular activities mm. as a way to get me the job because I have no marketing background, and it was to show people that you know, I this is this is my creative side. This is the stuff that I do. So it's definitely come out more, and the people that work in in the teams that I'm involved in now actually understand what a podcast is. But I try my very best to keep those worlds separate. Like, so I never say the company that I work for because right. I don't think that's important. I never say what I do, really, for a living. It's just, I'd like, like to keep it broad. Yeah. And when people at work ask me what I do in podcasting, very seldom will I, I will never give anyone a URL unless they ask for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just try and keep it very broad. So it's like internet radio. Let's talk about geeky stuff. Right. And I'll leave it there. Is that, is that 
a weird conversation to have on on their part like do people like people who stumble upon it or ask you do they get it or like i know sometimes if i explain it to people i kind of get like a blank look and it's like well it's on the internet don't worry about it nobody gets it and i get embarrassed to talk about it oh like i just i just don't know what to say to people right like i i don't know how to explain it in a in a way that makes sense to anybody mm-hmm. because people don't realize what i'm doing like it doesn't it just doesn't hit home and yeah i I do kind of get like embarrassed isn't the right self-conscious maybe you know i'm just very much like yeah it's this thing that i do and you know do do you think that comes from the fact that podcasting just isn't super mainstream or do you think it's about the content do you think that that we'll call it self-consciousness i think you know for me at least embarrassment's too strong of a word do you think that that is because of the content that because what your main body of work on the internet is nerdy. Like, do you think that's a bigger factor than the fact that it's just on the internet? Uh, maybe. I think that if it was, a, I think that if I said I had a blog about all of these things, I would be more willing to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I think it's because, I, for so many people, it comes with a baggage of explanation. So, like, well, so what is that then? Well, it's like radio. So, who are you talking to? Well, <laughs> a computer. My friends. And like, where are your friends? And like, well, they live in America. Well, how did you meet them? Okay. Not online. Like, there's so many it's like, steps that you right. have to perform to explain it to someone. Right. And basically, every single one of those steps has a taboo or a strangeness about it that still exists outside of our world. Like, how did you meet Stephen Hackett? Well, I interviewed him on my podcast and we became friends. Um, and I'm going to spend some time with him in a couple of weeks and go to his house in Memphis. Yeah. Oh, did you go to school together? No. No. Uh-uh. <laughs> I interviewed him. We just became like best friends. That's just yeah. how that like it's it is to people outside of our world. It is still strange, and so it's really hard for me to try and effectively explain what I do if they don't understand just the base level. People yeah. that do, I can easily I can talk about like when I come here to San Francisco, I I will talk about the prompt all day mm-hmm. with these people. But trying to explain it to people that need that base level understanding, I find it quite difficult. Gotcha. And you, I think, I think it was last year, uh, you went and kind of answered some questions to the the British government about this, right? So yeah. kind of, kind of share that story and kind of what you took away from it. <laughs> it's so weird that you picked this up. So when in my company there was somebody who worked in our press office who went to work for a, a team in the government called the Business Implement Business Implementation Services or something like that, and because she knew what I did. Uh, she was instrumental in helping me get the job in marketing. Um, and this is this department of the government is trying to do outreach to people over different things, mm-hmm. business stuff, just stuff that they can do. So she invited me to come down, see what they do, and then give a talk to some of the content teams about podcasting. So I sat in a government building with about 15 people and just answered questions. And it... <laughs> It was so strange, but that that was one of the things, right? So there's a there's a couple of things that have happened that they they resonate with my real world mm-hmm. family and friends. One of them being uh, the government going to speak to the government because like what, yeah, what, what'd you do? Like <laughs> how, how is this happening? Yeah, and then like uh, we we went to on Monday we watched the keynote at Twitter, mm-hmm. and I told and I like. You go into Twitter's office, ah, people freak out. But like, there, there are these certain points which right. can resonate with people, so they're right. easier to explain. 
the government one is just a strange one because yeah. it does sound like I did something terribly wrong. Right, like, were you involved in WikiLeaks? Well, no, I just do a podcast about technology. That's something that my grandma thinks I'm doing. <laughs> that, that you're, you're part of WikiLeaks? She calls it WikiLeaking, podcasting. Oh. She doesn't understand <laughs> it, and she gets really freaked out about it. It's, it's Yeah, better not to... Uh, Press on that. I won't send her this episode. People, including my grandma, say that I look like Edward Snowden. You kind of so freaks oh, her out even do. more. Yeah. We'll we'll have in the show notes a side by side. Loads photo. of pictures of Edward Snowden. Yeah. Uh, Mike, I know that I'm interviewing you, but where could people find the show notes? Five by five TV slash CMD SPACE slash one hundred. Awesome. I'm gonna get one more question uh, in this vein, and we'll we'll take a little break. Um, you know, you've been podcasting, I guess now what four. Four or five years? Four years in April. Four years in April. Um, listening even longer, you know, and, and so you've seen this industry evolve over time where it's kind of like, you know, Dan says it sometimes, kind of <laughs> making fun of lesser podcasts, but like dudes like with like USB mics in their basements talking about video games. Like podcast was very poor, for the most part, very poor quality, poorly produced, and I think we've seen it evolve into something like we're sitting in this amazing studio with like professional grade equipment. We have nice headphones on it, and it, it's it's the industry has grown up a little bit. I think. Where where do you see that arc going next? Do you think that we're kind of on a trajectory that will continue, or do you see something down the road that could really change the way that podcasting works from a producer standpoint, or the way people interact with the medium? I don't think I see the future. Um, I, I don't like, and a lot of people report to being able to see where the medium's going i don't know if i buy a lot of the things that that people argue this is where podcasting's going so i knew i felt like i knew where it was going i'll be doing that thing now um i'm very much in the and i've always felt like this like i will ride the wave of the way the industry moves and i, I you know i don't necessarily feel the need to be a trailblazer i just want to make the best of what's currently going on so the conventions of podcasting and the way that they've been and even changed over the last couple of years, like two years ago, it was uh, two guys. That was the idea. Two yeah, guys. Right. And that was set by Dan Benjamin. You have two guys on a podcast, or girls, of course, but you know what I mean. Like, it's two, two, two people. Basically two humans. People. N- yeah. Need to be humans. Yeah, need to be humans. Uh, so you'd have, like, you know, the full guy and then the, the talent, right? I followed that model. Uh, I feel like it's changed. I... I I feel like we, with the prompt, we try and do something different. I went to make a panel show again, which is before Dan, it was all panel shows. Mm-hmm. So, and Because there's, there's only so much you can do with the format. Right. A lot of people say that, oh, now podcasting needs to be easier. You need the blogger of podcasting. You need uh, more discovery tools. I agree with all of that. I don't think it's going to change the medium very much. Like if you give the blogger of podcasting, all it does is make more podcasts. I don't think that's the future. There's just more of them. You're making it easier for people. It doesn't change the medium in any way. Mm-hmm. And you say like these shows are well, you know, that th- that there are shows that are more well produced now. That's true, but it's still not radio quality, right? Like we put a lot of time and effort into what we do, but it's still like the shows that I make. They they don't sound the best that they could because there's only so much you can do with them, right? And you always like, end up with an MP3. Like you, yeah. the output is not. High, a high fidelity. Yeah, well, it's like, not vinyl. It's 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 you're compressing down to an MP3 that someone's going to download over LTE. Yeah, like this show does not sound like this American Life. You know, yeah, from a, from a production perspective, right? But I don't necessarily think that even that's important. Just the way that I see it is my just prediction in the near term is everybody that has a blog will have a podcast now, 
And a lot of people that have blogs will move their pieces, their articles to podcasts. Right. Because it is, I believe, more fun and engaging for a person to talk through this stuff with someone rather than just type it into a computer. I think John Gruber is a real shining example of this. And the talk show has become a massive outlet for him, which he's spoken about a lot recently. And I think that that's the, 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 the key thing. Like what I tried to do with you with our first show together was to take your blog and make it an extension of that. Mm-hmm. I did it with my friend Patrick Roan. We, we took Minimal Mac and, and turned that into a show. Mm-hmm. And it's what I've tried to do with other people as well. And, and, and I think that that's a common thing. I think that, that at the moment, podcasting, for a lot of people, they're compliments to websites. Right. But I think that that will just continue to evolve and they will become their own things. That's about as far in the future as I can see. Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment and one that I agree with, you know, that it's because it's it is similar content to what you see on blogs. The talk show is similar to Daring Fireball. You know, what we do on the prompt is similar in nature to five twelve and to Mac Stories. And it's it's complimentary. Yep. But then you look at guys like Accidental Tech Podcasts like Syracuse and Casey don't really write that much. And for them it's like a weekly output of what's going on and, and their thoughts on it. And so I I definitely agree. And I, I do I do wonder about, you know, the um, the the ease of use of podcasting because you know we're sitting on this table and there's like a million wires here and there's an iMac that's doing something that I don't really understand and it it is complex but I think your point of it the technology and the medium are kind of separate that you can evolve one without evolving the other I think is a really interesting insight. But now, Michael, we should take a break. Okay, we should take a break and thank our awesome friends at Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own personal website portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code SPOTLIGHT at checkout. A better web starts with your website. You know, you're talking about you use Squarespace in the past. I use it now, and I use it for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, It's simple and easy. They've got some great templates. You know, I'm not really a web designer or developer. I know enough to be dangerous, so I can take something off the shelf that they make that looks really good and tweak it very easily with uh, their drag-and-drop editor, their custom CSS functionality. Uh, and I do it because their support is great. 24-7 support uh, through live chat e- and email. Mike, they're on both sides of the pond. They're in New York mm-hmm. City and uh, and in Dublin. So no matter where you are, you get in touch with somebody uh, easily and quickly. Plans start just $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which is really, really great. Uh, when you de- do decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SPOTLIGHT, S-P-O-T-L-I-G-H-T, and get 10% off your first purchase to show your support for Command Space. Thank you so much, for Squarespace, for supporting 5x5 and this awesome special episode of Command Space. Whilst we're looking back, they've been with me, Squarespace, have been. Uh, they've been a regular sponsor of mine. Over two years, it's really they, awesome. They've they've sponsored pretty much every episode of the show. A handful of shows episodes they've not been on. Like, thank you, Squarespace. And and if you enjoy this show, just go try them out today. And if you like it, sign up. I would really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um. So I kind of want to move a little bit from sort of the the broad podcasting as this like <laughs> nebulous industry. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And I want to get I want to get kind of fine detailed, um, especially about this show. Um, you know, your other shows, you discuss the prompt, which is a panel discussion. You have this really great team of co-hosts 
Uh, you've got some other shows that are personality driven, but this command space at the heart of it is an interview show. Um, like I want to ask, are you are you naturally inquisitive? Do you do you interview people you meet in real life? You know, do you sit down beside somebody and ask them questions, or is this something that you have had to grow into as the show has evolved? Coming into command space, my, I felt like I I had a pretty good set of skills, having done a lighter version of this show for a long time before. And as the show has, as this show has grown, my skills I think have gotten a lot better at interviewing people. Like I can very easily knock together an outline of questions in a few hours for somebody. Um, I just feel like I need to do, and I do just research them. Whether it's I research them surreptitiously because I've been following them, or I, cho- I choose somebody that I think might be interesting, and then I find out a lot about them, and I try and understand the industries that they work in and create questions that way. Um, I think I'm quite inquisitive. Like I, I've always been a person that I feel that when in conversations I say less than the other person. I've always felt that way. I have things to say, but I'm always more interested to listen and hear what other people have to say. One of the interesting things that Command Space has given me is I can talk to anybody now because I know how to question people. <laughs> right. That sounds really threatening. Like. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I feel like I can just meet somebody and, and I'm able to just talk to them because I can just think of questions to ask just right. based on the things that they ask. Right. But yeah, I, th- I mean, I think we're all curious and inquisitive people, right? I think nerds are built that way. I would say that I am, yeah. I, I think that's where my want to do a show like this comes from, as well as just being in a lucky position to talk to practically everybody I ever would want to talk to. Yeah, so is that is that kind of uh, inquisitive nature? Is that something that is sort of, it's with people, that you're a people person, that's what you want to do? Or do you see that in other aspects of your life? Do you come across, uh, you know, something like, we'll use a silly example of like model rocketry. Like you read a little bit about it and then you kind of get interested in it, fascinated, do a lot of research, end up doing it. Or is this is this about the people as opposed to just learning about anything new? I guess both. Like I have a bit of a, a addictive, obsessive personality. You know, like I will uh, start watching a TV show and then want to find out every little thing about it. Or I get this like a flavor of the month hobby that mm-hmm. I find for myself. And then I just get completely immersed in it for a while, and that's what I love, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I, what are some examples of that? Um, I think recently. <laughs> Put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like I really got into Adventure Time yeah. and just spent, like, all of my time watching it and reading comic books and reading the Wikipedia articles and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I, that's the only way I can really think of it off the top of my head. <laughs> but, like, you know, well, this stuff podcasting right yeah it's a four-year yeah, obsession I found, I found out about it started doing it and then didn't go away like and you know i, I kind of have been like that like i've uh dabbled in federico's x callback url stuff and mm-hmm. spent nine hours once trying to build a script which was horrible just to <laughs> post to twitter and amp.net at the same time cured cured that huh? yeah but that, that's, that's just the kind of person i am like I, I i get like a we have a phrase and you kind of get a bee in my bonnet hmm. Um, it basically just means like uh, something happens and I get, I just want to know all about it. It stuck, sticks in my head. I can't get rid of it. And I just want to find out more and more about it. So, yeah. Like, I think, I think maybe, I don't know if this is the correct term. Maybe, I think this is more of an American one, like a flea in my ear. I've never heard that. Okay. So it's maybe another one. <laughs> that sounds itchy. Yeah. I don't, I don't want anything to do with that. There you go. Um, 
You know, we're recording this here at WWDC. We've had a week full of meeting all these people we know from the internet. Um, if you, if you have an interaction with somebody that you have interviewed that you haven't actually met in person, does that kind of give you a head start when you meet them in real life to kind of jump from that interview? Or do you find that sort of the show is this thing and, and becoming friends or having a relationship in the real world is a different type of thing? Looking at WWDC as an example, definitely. Like, because I noticed this the most last year, right? Because I'd never been to this before. And it's happened again, definitely this year is I can introduce myself to somebody and then they recognize my voice and they remember that they were on my show. I have a great benefit that I'm British. And you'll probably ask me a question about this, so I won't go into it anymore. But people recognize my voice quite easily. Especially when, you know, I just say, hi, I'm, I'm Mike Hurley. Like, oh, yeah, I was on your show. And that, yeah. that really does help because we, me and that person have had a conversation where they know that they have told things to me about themselves. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it does open up those sort of avenues. And this show, and, and again, the show before it, the bro show, were the enabler of every single other thing that I've done in this industry. Um, I'm part of 5 by 5 because I interviewed Dan. Yeah, and then got on his radar, and then we decided to talk. Um, you are one of my co-hosts. Federico is one of the co-hosts of the prompt because we started a relationship because of the interviews that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a, and it continues to do that for me. It's like a this show is like a great tool to help me understand the industry better and get people to understand me and to find out about the shows. And mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you about the the British thing. Um, it. You are your voice, not from like editorial standpoint, but you're just your voice, just how you sound, uh, is unique in our space. You know, there are a lot of guys who, you know, basically sound the same. There are guys like me who sound just a little bit different. And then, and so that you are unique there, but sort of at home, like what is the, what is the podcast industry like at home? Why did and why did you decide to focus on America as opposed to building a podcast network and an audience, say in Great Britain? I have an audience in Great Britain, but it's not my biggest. Um, and I know of qu- not a lot, but there are, I know of a bunch of British podcasters that you know their their audience is there. Um, it's different. The way that I uh, go about recording is different. Um, a lot of shows that I know that are British shows that are independent have a completely different style and tact to the way that I do things. I think I'm definitely more of an American style in it. Uh, British humor is just, is very strange mm-hmm. when we're together, and I don't think it always translates. And shows that focus on that, which a lot of shows do, they they don't really they don't really take themselves seriously. And I know that, that like we make lots of jokes on our shows, but it's I don't know it's different. I, f- I feel like there's in in Great Britain there are a bunch of shows that I know that are really entertaining but only to British people. And, and and I don't know why necessarily why that is. Like, there's obviously a difference in humor and, and stuff like that. But it just wasn't what I wanted to make. Like, I wanted the people that I love and the people that I am really interested in all came from America. Like, all the blogs that I read and the sites that I read. And primarily, they are American. So I just aimed at that and just went for those people. Mm-hmm. Are, are there repercussions to that? Are there... I mean, I know we can talk about time zone stuff, but are there... Are there other repercussions of being, you know, your content and all your co-hosts and everything kind of being in one place and in one culture 
more or less, and you being kind of outside of that. I think the repercussions are kind of as a there's a positive one and then a silly one, and the silly one being is talking to Americans for many many hours a day has changed my voice significantly, and the mm-hmm. words that I use, even in everyday speech, is different to what it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I've dropped a lot of my not all. <laughs> as people like to point out. like you know, <laughs> I, I've dropped a lot of my uh, colloquialisms and regional things to the point where, you know, people that I grew up with think that I sound ludicrous you know, <laughs> when I say things like mobile. Yeah. Um, and But the, 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 the real ramification of being a British person in an American podcasting space is uh, I am the British guy. Yeah. And that, I think more than anything, is been the biggest boon for my career is having a voice that is to many people instantly recognizable just because of where I come from mm-hmm. uh, like we had a 5 by 5 event on Monday um, and at the event people not I had loads of people come to it was fantastic but there were a bunch of instances like I was walking around and putting some prompt stickers on some of the tables uh, and I put one down um, and there was a guy like he smiled at me like you know, just like I said, hi, and he went, oh, you're Mike, and that happens to me all the time. Wow, one word, one syllable. Yeah, because I, you know, I said, hi, how are you, or something like that. Right, and just brief. Yeah, because if you listen to the show all the time, I would like to think that you would recognize my voice if I spoke to you. Yeah, um, because it's instantly recognizable. Like uh, someone from New York could be another person from New York to somebody who's from Tennessee. Yeah. Right, but there aren't many British people that do what I do uh, in the place that I do it, you know, the space that I occupy. Sure. Um, do you, you know, kind of along along those lines, like the, you know, I, I know that, you know, because it's not your day job, because where we're sitting now and your home is eight hours difference, you know, kind of what does that have an impact on what you what you can do, not only in the shows, but sort of in real life? I couldn't do the shows if I if if everyone was in the UK, it wouldn't work, because I'm able to record in people's daytime my evening. That works. Mm-hmm. If we, I needed to record my daytime, the shows wouldn't exist because I have a job. Right. So being able to do this in the evenings, so much better for me. It works for me, uh, but it impacts basically every single part of my life. I don't get a lot of sleep. <laughs> uh, especially on Wednesdays um, I have made a personal sacrifice to my social life over the last four years I don't do anything on weekday evenings because I'm podcasting mm-hmm. this is not a you know, pity parade this is my <laughs> choice this is the right. thing I chose to do right. don't regret it I have no regrets um, I just make sure that my weekends never get impacted by this right. that's how I make my divide you kind of carve that time yep. as this is time with my significant other or family or we go see a buddy and, and you don't allow the podcasting world to bleed into that. I try my very best like just to stay away from most of the internet from Friday Friday at 5 o'clock to Sunday at 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. I just stay away from it. I check in on it very infrequently. Even in my conversations with you, like we don't talk very much on the weekends. Right. My phone goes on do not disturb on Friday. Right. And it comes off on Sunday. Right. So, you know, if if anything ever happens, I'm going to it rather than it coming to me. Um, but it, it 
helps like the, it helps me structure things by mm-hmm. being able to do this in the evenings it does mean that i work late but right now i can do it like i can survive on not a lot of sleep like it works for me mm-hmm. so i was talking to i can't remember who i was talking to someone about that this week i'm going to keep doing that because i can do it right now yeah in a couple of years time probably won't be able to right and i hope that i won't have to be you know doing it in the way that i do it now uh but it works for me right now to to have like this second job in the evening. Kind of, kind of, sort of. We took that leg of our questions before I, I was going to, but kind of getting back to the interview thing for for a minute. Uh, you opened this show with a very famous question of what do you like to be known for? Um, and I, you know, I listen to Command Space every week, and basically, regardless of who the guest is. It's always interesting. It might be somebody I know really well. It might be another friend of ours. It might be somebody who I don't know well or know nothing about. And it's a good way because your interviews are structured the way they are. I can get to know them through that hour of audio. How in the world did you come up with that question? I don't think I did. Did you rip it off? I think I did. <laughs> a friend of ours, Gabe Weatherhead, had a show on 70 decibels called Generational. Yeah, Gabe writes Mac Drifter. Yeah, and he's also got a show called Technical Difficulties now, which is the best show in the world. There was, I can't remember what he said or who he said it to, and he doesn't remember this. I was listening to an episode of his show, and he answered it. He opened it by asking a question along the lines of, along the lines of, what do you like to be known for? Because, well, when I started asking that question, I don't think I phrased it the way that I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was along those lines, you know, like asking someone, not what do you do right. or who are you as a person, the question, I love the question because it is taken by the person the way they want to take it. Right. Some people answer with a joke. Some people answer with something extremely uh, important to them, philosophical to them, how they are as a being. And some people just say, I write this for this website. Right. And I love the question. And it. there is a show called Inside the Actor's Studio, which is presented by James Lipton. The, he's in Arrested Development. He's oh. the prison warden. Yes. Inside the actor's <laughs> studio, in my opinion, is the pinnacle of interviewing. And he ends every episode with a series of questions that come from a, a French guy whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. We'll put something in the show notes about that. <laughs> um, Fix it in post. Yeah, we'll fix it later. And they're always the same questions. It's like, what's your favorite curse word? You know, there's there's like a, a bunch of questions, right. and it forms the end of the show. But I also ha- tried to model my interview style after him. Anyway, you know? mm-hmm. I've been doing that a lot more recently. I've been trying to dig into people and how they grew up and how the right. choices that they yeah. made in their life inform the work that they do. I've noticed that over the last you know several months yeah. that you've kind of gone a little bit deeper. So, so that's something that I'm I'm trying out. But that opening question. It's like a catchphrase now, um, but I think that it really helps inform the episodes. Yeah, like every episode title, pretty much, with some exceptions, come from something that my guest says. Mm-hmm. About seventy percent of the time, that episode title comes from the answer to the question. Yeah, and I think your your response to my initial question is really interesting. I'm I wasn't I wrote in my notes. I notice people often don't actually answer, but talk about what they do. What do you think about that? And I think what you said about that question hits people differently. I know I was on an episode and you asked me and I knew it was coming. Like I listen every week that you've asked it a hundred, well now a hundred times, 99 times. Um, 
And it still struck me because my immediate response, and I think the one that a lot of people go to as well, I write 512 Pixels and I have a podcast with my friends. I did a book and like tell jokes on Twitter, like kind of what people know me for almost as a reinforcement of my of my identity to the audience. But I, I think I think that's fine. I think a lot of people answer it that way and that's great. But I, at least as a listener, really enjoy when someone take you know sits back and, and says, you know, this is who I am as a being and like for you, you are inquisitive, you are obsessive to a degree, you love people. And so that what do you like to be known for for you? You ended up with the answer you gave me half an hour ago of I like to make things that make people happy. Um, do you do you find that, that 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 question in an interview does that set the tone for the rest of the show, or do you kind of already have your questions and are ready to go, and that's just sort of the opener, and then you move on? I have an outline. Every episode has an outline. The majority of questions that I ask are in the outline. Um, very frequently, my outline is rearranged during the show to meet the way that the conversation's flowing. But that question sets the tone of the conversation. And I feed from that. So if somebody answers very seriously, the tone is serious. If they answer in a humorous way or an entertaining way, that also sets the tone for the show. I allow my guest to to open themselves up in the way that they want to, and then I frame the rest of the interview based on how they have taken the response to the question. What, um, you've done 99 of these now. What, what has been the most surprising answer you've gotten from somebody? John Roderick. Okay. On the first episode, he said, I said, what do you like to be known for? I believe his words were, uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Didn't expect that. (laughs) Uh, the, the, the other ones are like, and I can't remember off the top of my head, when people say, I've been thinking a lot about this. Mm. I like that. Right. That they, that they, I mean, it shows not only that they take the show seriously, but that they have a sobriety about themselves, mm-hmm. I think. Is that kind of what you get from from that? Yeah. And also, it's nice to know that people listen to my show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I like that. I, I also, I love it when people. And and this annoys people, I think, sometimes, which is a shame. But when people say, what a great question. I love that. It's just a nice thing to hear. Um, or I also really like it when people are taken aback by it because they're the ones that then put some thought into it. If if people that answer straight away, sometimes it is what they actually are known for, not what they like to be known for. It's what are you known for is the way that some people take that. Right. But the people that go, ooh, and take a minute. Right, like I, I might be known for podcasting, blogging, whatever, but I would really like to be known as like a great humanitarian. Like, yep. silly example, but that sort of it's it's a difference of only one or two words, but in reality, a totally different mm-hmm. different thing. You you've done a couple of shows. It's funny you brought the John Roddick show. I was going to bring up actually the second episode he was on, um, and uh, I. I'm just going to read back some of the transcript, if that's okay. Yeah, please. It was John Roderick, Long Winners, Roderick on the Line, etc. And um, he says, I've been writing this sort of commentary on the world, and what I was formerly known for and what I prefer to do is make primary source material. You know, if you're making a song or if you're writing a story, that is source material. It's primary. 
It's a thing that did not exist before. You're not commenting. Presumably your song is not commenting on some earlier song. Or if it is, it's doing it in an inventive way. And he, and he kind of goes on. He says, there's a great wind that comes through and just blows all that stuff out to sea. And all that's left is that primary stuff. There were probably a million words written about the Beatles' first few records when they came out, but none of that early criticism survives or matters today. Nobody reads it. The records are what are still there. And that's a great quote for a bunch of different reasons. It was the it's the best answer I've had. Yeah, I think I think it is is too. And it's when I think about command space as a body of work, that is the episode that I go to in my mind. Many people do actually. Yeah, and so I think about that sort of primary versus secondary material, and where do you see command space fitting in in that sort of worldview? Hmm. Uh, for me, it's primary. It's my creation of a thing. But it is definitely viewed as a secondary source because I've done research, right? And created a bunch of questions based on somebody's life, and then they're answering questions about themselves. The prompt is primary. Like, we create every episode, and every single episode is fresh, and whatever happens on the mic stays on the mic, and it's done. Like Nothing ever existed before that was like that episode. Right. A lot of the people that I've had have done many interviews, and, and, and I try and not ask the same questions to try and keep the show fresh. The command space is definitely, definitely what should be seen as, I think, a secondary source. It is not the primary source. It is not the creation. It is people talking about the things that they do. Um, I think the only episode of Command Space that I can think of as a primary source is it was an episode that I did with Casey, Casey Liss of Accident Tech Podcast, and we spoke about like the fear and 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 feeling like an imposter and and how we got to the places that we got to you know mm-hmm. and how like having brands and it was just a, it was a different we were, I was doing an experiment it's a very different type of episode right a good um, one by the way thank you and it's also actually another favorite of mine um that was a primary one because that it was a new thing it was it was just a brand new thing but i i think of it that way i'm going to ask you Stephen, do you think of it the same way that i've explained it I think I think your answer is is fair. I think that it's very dependent on the individual episode. That you know, for instance, I think if someone has written a book, as an example, written a book, and they come on the show to talk about the book, you interview them about the book, which can be really interesting and fascinating and really insightful to how they work. In my mind, that's secondary. That is, while that work might be new, it is about something else, mm-hmm. and that and there's great value in that. You know, I think when people are writing criticism of the Beatles' first records, while that stuff doesn't exist anymore and that music still does, that content did have an importance at the time. And so, you know, if you had a, if you had interviewed me two years ago about a book, that's not super relevant anymore. And I think that sort of time sort of answers this question for us in some regards. But I do think that there are a lot of elements of command space that are primary. Definitely these episodes we're talking about today. But I think even within episodes, there's threads of that. And I think it it comes back to that, what do you like to be known for? I think if I answer that about a project, that's secondary. But if I answer that about and the interview following is about, you know, me as a parent or, you know, we were having an honest conversation about something that is not fleeting 
that it's mm-hmm. a, it's a conversation about life or a conversation uh, that is two sided, that is thoughtful, that is uh, unique. Then I think it's definitely primary source material. And you know, Roderick's quote might be a little harsh on secondary material. And while yes, I think the the episodes of Command Space that we're talking about are primary, and they are the ones we remember. You know, there's there's you know. 25 episodes of Command Space that I could not tell you what they were right now. Part of that's because there's a lot of them and part of them is because they're secondary. Mm-hmm. But I think that I think that you showing up every, you know, every week, you sitting down in front of your microphone, you're calling somebody up on your computer, which like, by the way, is totally science fiction that you can just like call people on the internet across an ocean. Like, how does that work? Um, that for you, that is a primary act and that it is something that and and it comes across in your work that that is very time consuming for you and that is very like energy sapping like if you have to go and research these people and you have to go do these interviews and you have to come up with questions like that is there is a labor there that promotes it to primary source material i like that that's Thanks. better answer than mine <laughs> i was going to interview myself that's for the rest why, of the that's time. why i'm the interviewer i'm good at the questions that yeah um so we're we're getting close to an end. I and I had this question in the notes, and um, it, it's it's sort of a silly question, but I think the depending on what the answer is, can be really interesting. So you, to be fair, you basically focus on our world of uh, technology, technology journalism, mainly even in the Apple space. That that your audience and your pool of interviewees is relatively narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not interviewing government officials or, you know, Stephen King or yep. like it's it's people who live in the, whatever the subculture that we exist in. Like if, Sa- if San Francisco disappeared tonight, like all of our audience would be gone or a, a, a sizable portion of them would be gone because they're all here because they're all doing Apple stuff. Um, if you were to take command space and blow it up and say, you know what, uh, I'm not just going to focus on this, but I'm going to just focus on interesting people. What are some people, what are some types of people that you would want to have on the show if you were to expand its scope? I think I'd like to tackle an industry by industry. Um, because one of the things about command space, you mentioned threads earlier, and this is something that I don't talk about a lot. But one day, and I will I will do this one day, is go back through and, and draw the lines, clearly draw the lines to people that I've weaved throughout the show's history. Mm-hmm. Um, I speak to people that I think there's a link between them, and it may be episode 10 and episode 54 and episode 63, and there's a link between those three episodes. Because I very frequently ask very, very similar questions to people that I think do the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Because I like to try and tie the shows together in that way in my mind. And I don't do anything with it. I don't make it clear what episodes I think are linked, but there are links there. So I would love to be able to say, right, I've done the technology industry now. Let's move to film. Mm. And I'll interview a cameraman, a director, producers, and then move into TV, do floor managers, and move into books like novels and write and yeah. literature. And, you know, I, I, that's what I, if I was going to do it that way, that's how I would do it. I wouldn't want to just do a like a mishmash of everyone on the planet. Right. Like this week will be a senator, and then next week will be a movie director, and then the week after that will be um, a TV repairman. Like I, I would want to just focus on a thing and take that sort of vertical 
uh, <laughs> and then move on to the next one, the next one, the next one. Right, because I think I think command space has become a sort of record of our industry. You know, um, that the stories you have told over the last two years, really the last four years, if you if you count, you know, the bro show as well, you've told a story of our industry as it has changed, and that time has you know encompass things like the iPad it has encompass things like a developer community that is i mean how many people are here like i don't even know how many attendees are at WWDC like a community that has grown and has enjoyed growth and not just growth in in the sense that there's a lot more people but that our community has become more mature our community has become more rich in what people are doing you know if you interview a developer about a application that they have launched if you interview a writer about a book that they have published uh john roderick about music that he writes that those things enrich our community and i i definitely agree with you and it's it's one of the things that i respect most about command space is that you have built that story and by following along you get a sense of what this industry is doing and and not from a like apple's gonna make a bigger phone because in 10 years no one's gonna care but what people did in that time frame and what they were able to create and how they were able to impact people is something that I think you capture very well. And one that as a listener, I really enjoy. Thank you. I think that's about it. Thank you. You bet. Um, I wanted to do something special for this. Like uh, This is important to me, episode 100. Because um, it is a milestone to you know, hunt somewhere between one hundred and two hundred hours recording, and twice <laughs> that on top for prep. Yeah, um, this show means so much to me because it's mine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I work really, really hard on it. Um, and I wanted the chance to kind of talk a bit about that, and I knew I needed to pick someone. Like there were, there were many people that I could have chosen to do this. I chose you because I thought you know, would know me the best and would ask the questions that I want to ask. And I think you did a perfect job. So thank you, Stephen. You bet. People can find us on the internet. As we still have to close. Like our yeah, we have show. to do that. Uh, but before we do. Before we do that. I need to thank everybody else who listens. By name? That's going to take a long time. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll start with the A's. <laughs> uh, means that there are an interview show is a fluctuating show of its listeners. Um, because you're interested in this person, not this person. You sure. may only come to this show. You probably Some people will only come to this show when they find us someone they want to listen to. So they will, may even, never even hear this because I might not be right. that person. But they've heard the episodes that Person X has been on. Yeah. But I know that there is a core listener group to this show because I see the numbers. And you know, if somebody doesn't promote the show, in any way, which happens from time to time, because you don't have to promote it. You're already people are already being very, very generous to give me the time. I know what those numbers are, and it surprises me that I have the amount of people that I do listen to this show every week. And I do this show for the people to listen to. Otherwise, there's no point in putting this work in. Right. I want there to be people that enjoy it and get something out of it. So I hope that people have enjoyed hearing a little bit about me. If you don't know anything about me. I hope that I've managed to provide a show that people find interesting today, but I hope that I'm always able to provide a show that people always find interesting. And it means a lot to me that people tune in every week. I love Thursday mornings because I get 
people telling me how much they love the show, love the episode. Or, it's a fantastic feeling mm-hmm. to get that sort of feedback. Like, this yeah. really meant a lot to me. This was really great. Like, now I know about this. I'm going to go and do this. I love that sort of stuff. It's what makes me want to continue to do this show every week. As the show goes on into the future, I see some. I see a really big avenue for Command Space. I, I know what the future of the show is going to be. Um, it's the show that I've always wanted to make. Like This iteration of Command Space, this iteration of Mike Hurley's interview show, this is still not what I want it to be. It's, it was just the step that I had, knew I had to take to be, give myself the skills to do the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited about where I think this show's going to go in the n- future. Not too distant, not too near, but where I see it going within the next year, I have big plans for this show and, and I'm, I'm going to let my personality out a little bit more um, and uh, I hope that people continue to enjoy it. So I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank Stephen for stepping up and doing this today. Um, if you want to find the show notes for this week's episode, please go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 100. Thank you to Squarespace for sponsoring. And I'll hand it over to Stephen to finish. If you want to find Mike on Twitter or basically any other social network, you find him at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E, which is not the way his parents spell it, but we'll let it slide. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as I-S-M-H. H. I-S-M-H. Um, and until next time. <laughs>